Heavenly Father, thank you for a new year, a new day to be able to to come into your presence and to hear from your word. And Lord, as we look at this passage now, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. Speak through me and to me. And Lord, that we would go, go from this place knowing a little more about you and your, your character and what you have planned for our lives. So Lord, teach us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Duncan's already said Happy New Year, but I want to wish you a Happy New Year as well. Raise your hand if you saw the New Year in last night. Yeah, a few. Probably those vacant seats that you see around the place, they would raise their hands as well. We make choices every day, don't we? Some of us chose to stay up late last night and see the New Year in, and some of us chose to go to bed. I chose to go to bed. I'm glad I did too. But we make choices every day, choices of, of what we eat, what we wear, uh, where, to, where to go, where to go to work, where to go to, to play, um, and, and various different choices. Some of these choices are easy to make because it's, it's blatantly obvious as to what the best choice is. However, other choices are, are not so obvious. It's a little bit black and white, a little bit grey in, in what the best choice is. Some of the choices we make uh, carry consequences with them. If I make a bad choice, I have every reason to suffer those consequences. However, some of the choices that we make have consequences for other people. Like if I decide or choose not to teach my children how to cross the road safely, then they potentially suffer the consequences of my bad choice. Namely, they are the ones that are potentially getting run over. And in our reading this morning, we see that Joshua has all of the people of Israel surrounding him. And he outlines to them, he gives them a command, a big challenge. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. He firstly says to them, fear the Lord. And then he goes on to say, serve him only. And a subset of that is is to put away the, the gods that your fathers served. In other words, put away your idolatry and serve God only. And then he says his big challenge, choose this day whom you will serve. You will either serve the gods of your fathers or the one one true God. If we were to write something like this nowadays, we possibly might write it in in some sort of way that where we we would word it, um, choose the Lord first and foremost. Choose the Lord, serve the Lord, and then maybe think about fearing him. But Joshua boldly speaks and he, he says, Firstly, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, serve the Lord, and choose him. Choose to serve him. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Fear is usually a bad thing, isn't it? Fear the Lord. But, but God is love. 
isn't he? Yes, God is love, but God is also creator and judge, and therefore he is to be feared. So in my mind, there's a, there's a little bit of a, a conflict going on. What do we mean when we say fear the Lord? Is it, is it something that we're supposed to do that, that, um, that is, is fearing, fearing God in a, in a bad sort of way? Or is it, is it fearing him in a healthy kind of way? There's a distinction that <clears throat> Martin Luther, excuse me, Martin Luther from the 1500s um, came up with the idea or the concept and he made this distinction between servile fear and filial fear. If you want those two words written down, I can write them down for you later. But servile fear is, a, is an unhealthy kind of fear. Servile fear is the fear that, that someone like a prisoner in a jail would have for his tormentor or the jailer or the executioner. It's that kind of dreadful anxiety in which someone is frightened by a particular person and the danger that comes along with them. Or it's the kind of fear that a slave might have for a, for a malicious master who comes and beats them with the whip. Servile fear refers to a posture of servitude toward a wicked owner. I can say that that's, that's an unhealthy kind of fear. And Luther distinguished between this kind of fear and what he called filial fear. Filial fear refers to the fear that, that a child has for their father or mother. It's kind of like a family sort of concept. And Luther is thinking of a child who has a tremendous respect and love for their father or mother and that knows that that father and mother are the very source of security, love and life itself. However, that child has a, has a fear or an anxiety of offending the one that gives that love and life not because they're afraid of torture, not because they're afraid of punishment, but because they're rather just afraid of displeasing the one that is the source of that love and security in life. This distinction of, of between servile fear and filial fear is a helpful one, I think. And it's this filial fear that Joshua is referring to here. Joshua has just spent five minutes relaying to the Israelites about what God has done for them, how he has made them into a people from their father Abraham. He has made them into a, a nation and has saved them out of slavery in Egypt. He's brought them into the promised land. He's, he's been with them the whole time they were in the wilderness. And he's driven out the enemies before him, before them, given them the promised land, given them cities that they did not build and, and orchards, orchards that they did not plant. But Joshua is also saying, in light of, of your filial fear, the fear of, of fearing God because he is good, be careful. Fear the Lord because he is also 
judge. He says, Joshua says, fear the Lord because if you're not careful, you can be driven out just like the Amorites, the Hittites and all the other ites that inhabit the land and that have served other gods. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The use of, of fearing the Lord in the, in the Psalms and the Proverbs is, is where we're told that. We're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, the fear that is spoken here of, of um, fearing the Lord is, is, is a sense of awe and respect and, um, uh, awe and respect for the majesty and holiness of God. And sometimes that's often lacking in, in contemporary Christianity, isn't it? We can sometimes turn our hat around backwards and call God our bro. Not quite that bad, but we can call God, you know, our buddy or our friend. We've, as if we could have a casual sort of relationship with God. Yes, we're called to, to call God Abba Father and to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him, but we're not not meant to be flippant with God. We're not meant to be casual with him. We're always meant to have that healthy balance of respect and adoration for him and his holiness and his righteousness. And a respect that he has saved us when we didn't deserve it. A respect that he has every right to to cause our life to end right now because of our sin. If we have a healthy balance of that adoration for God and that fear for God, still should have an element of, of knowledge that God can be frightening. Hebrews 10 verse 31 says that it's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, as, as sinful people, we have every right, to, every reason to fear God's judgment. However, as the Psalms and the Proverbs tell us, the fear of the Lord should be that beginning, that trigger point of, of knowledge, of our knowledge of God, that turning point. Our fear of God and His judgment should be a turning point in the beginning of knowledge that we know that God saves those who fear him. We know that God makes those who fear him into his children, who genuinely fear him into his children and his family. And so the fear of the Lord is our motivation or the start of the motivation for being reconciled with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and that's why Joshua puts it at the start. He says, fear God because of his holiness and righteousness. So we're also called to have a fear of God for his holiness 
and his righteousness. A genuine, healthy kind of fear. But Joshua moves on and tells the people to, to serve God. Tells the people of Israel to serve God. Serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, as he says there in verse 14. What do you think of when you hear the words, serve the Lord, serve God? Do you think of a man in a butler's uniform with a silver tray serving God? Or do you think of a a priest or a minister or the the Old Testament priests um, doing the sacrifices and the and the, the serving in the temple? Or do you think of someone on their knees praying diligently, serving, serving God by serving others? This kind of service or serving that, that Joshua mentions here could be identical to worship. The, the word worship could be used as well. And I'm not just thinking of worship songs that we sing here on a Sunday morning. I'm thinking of the kind of service or worship that is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that involves every aspect of a believer's life. It involves every aspect of their mind, body and soul, physical, spiritual and emotional. And I think that, that it would be helpful if we, we made a bit of a, a small distinction between the kind of service or worship that someone does who is trying to go, gain God's approval and the kind of service and worship that, that someone does who knows that they have God's approval. If our motivation for service is is out of trying to to gain God's approval, then we're working in vain. We're serving in vain. We're we're worshipping in vain. It's not true service. It's not true worship. And in fact, there's nothing that we can do to physically remove ourselves or, or to improve our standing with the most holy and righteous God. Paul, in his in his um, speech in, in chapter 17 of, of Acts, says that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. See, there's nothing that we can do to improve our, our standing with God. God has everything he needs. He doesn't need our service. And Isaiah says these words in chapter 64, verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Isaiah is saying that not only the fact is that that God doesn't need our service, but if we are trying to serve God in order to improve our standing with him, because of our sin, we're in fact working in an opposite direction. We're making ourselves more and more polluted. All our righteous deeds are making us like a polluted garment. There's nothing that we can do to, to try and gain God's approval through, through acts of service. Especially if we're working from an unreconciled point where we haven't 
recognised our need for God. We're just recognising God's need for us. The more and more we pollute ourselves by doing that. Galatians 2 verse 16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, in order to be reconciled with God by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul says there's nothing physical that you can do to improve your standing with God. except for faith in Jesus Christ. There's no point in trying to serve God in in order to try and gain his approval if that's the motivation behind serving him. However, if we know that we can have God's approval through through Christ's sacrifice, through through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, This changes our motivation for serving and it changes the way that we serve. Philippians 3 verses 7 and 8, Paul again says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul was a Pharisee, the best of the best in the the best tribe and the best schools and yet he's saying, whatever gain I had because of that, I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ's approval. Whatever gain I had by doing works of the law or trying to serve God to gain his approval, I count it as rubbish because I know that I can have God's approval through Christ Jesus. And not only that he can have God's approval through Christ Jesus, but but the approval of God through Christ Jesus, surpasses all of this other trying to serve and trying to gain God's approval. It surpasses it immensely. And so out of that sort of motivation, we should be serving. We should be worshipping God. The motivation for our service and worship is, is key to the outcome of our service and worship. In, in Peter, Peter's first letter to the, the church, in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.
Peter makes it clear that we have received our gifts and our, our um, gift of salvation first and foremost for two purposes. To serve others and to bring glory to God. Two purposes, to serve others and to bring glory to God. Serving isn't about us receiving the the attention or the the glory. It's about God receiving the glory. And through our service, through our worship, through indirectly serving others, or sorry, through directly serving others, we can be indirectly serving God. And therefore the, the transforming power of Jesus Christ and his life-changing ability is on display. Peter says that we should be recognising that we are speaking and serving directly on behalf of God to others when we, when we have that correct motivation for our service. When we have that correct motivation for our service, God gives us the ability and the strength for us to serve others. And when we direct the glory to him instead of taking it for ourselves, we stand out from the crowd, from those who would only glorify in themselves. And that difference in our lives can cause people to examine that life-changing relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. You see, our service and our worship day by day, moment by moment, validates our faith in front of others. But the opposite is also true. It it can nullify our faith in front of others if we have the wrong motivation for service. So this is the kind of service and worship that Joshua is speaking about here in chapter 24. He's speaking about the kind of service that that first and foremost springs from a knowledge of God that God has saved them, God has brought them out of slavery, God has brought them into a a new existence with him. But he's also saying that, that God is to be feared because he is a jealous God. He is a jealous God and, and therefore you should serve him only. At the moment we've got a number of areas, you may have seen them on the screen before the service, we've got a number of areas in which you are able to serve. Kids ministries, youth ministries, communion stewards, congregational care team. There's a, there's a wide variety of ways that you can serve. And I'm not asking you this morning to serve more I'm not asking you this this morning to to put your hand up after the service or fill out a survey in which you can serve. I'm asking you to, to examine your hearts and to examine the motivation for your service. Examine the motivation for your worship of, of God through service. But also in, in an ideal world, also remember that if every one of us was serving one another here in the church, there would be times when we are served as well. 
Accept those kind of times with humility and graciousness. Accept those those kind of times and treasure them in your heart when you are served because you're served by others within the church but by God as well. And to serve with a grateful heart, to serve and worship God with a grateful heart is, a, is another thing that I'm asking you to do this morning. Asking us. That, that's talking about me too. In verse 15, Joshua says, plain and simple, choose this day. It's New Year's Day today. I'm sure you're all aware of that. What a perfect opportunity for us to be able to, to press the reset button on our lives. To make somewhat of a, a New Year's resolution of, of serving God. Fearing God, serving God and choosing Him only. Firstly, let's remember all of the things that God has done for us. Just as Joshua relayed all the good things that God had done for the Israelites, think about the good things that God has done for us. It's only reasonable that we should choose the God who has given us the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift of service, salvation from sin and self through the sacrifice of himself. Doesn't that make, isn't that the logical conclusion? The God who has given the greatest gift of salvation from sin and the promise of eternal life with Him, why would you want to serve any of the other gods? Joshua says, but it's not okay to have a foot in both camps. It's not okay to sit on the fence. Either you serve God or you serve your father's gods, little g. What are some of the little g's that that get in the way of our service of God, big g? Money, fame, TV. Cars. These are just a, a, a few that, that get in my way. What are some of the things that get in the way of, of your service of God that, that, yeah, that just get in the way of that? What do you need to do this morning? Choose God. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose God, big G, or choose God's little G. Have any of these little G gods saved you? Have any of these little G gods given of themselves, or are they just always taking and taking and taking? What has God, big G, done for you? He has given the sacrifice of himself. And so choose this day whom you will serve. Isabel, I loved your your quote this morning. 
Jesus died in public, so don't just serve him in private. Choose this day whom you will serve. Not just when it's convenient, not just when it's suitable to you and your family, not just when it's easy. Choose this day wholeheartedly and, and fully whether you'll serve him or not. Whether you will serve God with all of your mind, strength and soul because there might become a day when you have to say in the face of terrible persecution as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. There might come a day when, when you have to stand up in front of your friends and your peers and, and receive jeers and, and rebuke and criticism. Can you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these challenging words from, from Joshua, from you. And Lord, as we go out this morning, may we examine ourselves as to our correct motivation for serving you. May we examine the way that we, we fear you. Help us to have a, a healthy adoration for you, a healthy respect for you and your majesty, holiness and righteousness. Lord, help us to choose this day to choose to serve you, to choose to fear you and to choose to love you through, through serving others by giving of ourselves and, and, and denying ourselves and, and giving you the glory. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, the sacrifice that it means so that we may have life with you. Lord, thank you for the promise of, of eternal life with you. And may we live our lives and, and serve in light of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.